0: But this morning, we're in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. I, I think, yes, your bulletin has verse 12 in it, uh, but uh, I've decided to give that one to Eric. It goes better with his section than with mine this morning. So we'll just go through verse 11. Well, before we stand to read those verses, I want to ask you... Um, Have you ever heard someone say, whatever you do, don't pray for patience, whatever you do, don't pray for endurance? Because you know what's going to happen, they say, if you pray for patience or endurance. Hard things are going to come into your life that will require patience and endurance, right? Well, uh, James would say that that's horrible advice, actually. Because you remember, James began this letter with these words in chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's endurance. He's going to use that word today as well. And let steadfastness have its full effect, he says, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He said that in chapter 1. Now, of course, James would not tell you to ask for suffering or to seek out suffering, but he would tell you to pray for patience and endurance when you meet the trials that are sure to come. So, James is saying this in chapter 1. Don't you want to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing that looks like Jesus? Don't you want God to perfect and complete his plan to produce a Jesus-shaped life in you? Of course you do, if you're his. Then you need to know that the testing of your faith is what grows that Jesus-shaped endurance in you. And you need to patiently let that Jesus-shaped endurance come into full bloom and have its full effect if you want to be shaped like him. And that's why you can count it all joy. When you come up against trials that come your way, because in them and by them, God will strengthen your trust in him and produce his own son's patience and endurance in you. Count it all joy that God can be trusted to make every one of your trials make you like Jesus. That's what James has told us. And now, James is going to continue that thought here in chapter 5 near the end of his letter. So, would you stand with me and hear the word of the God who loves us from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, would you uh, bring this word to our hearts this morning and use them, use these words to encourage us to establish our hearts in Jesus and to shape us into the heart and character of Jesus, we ask in his name, amen. Please be seated. So, James gives another of his 54 commands in this letter. Verse 7, he says, Be patient. And he doesn't say it like I have said it in the past, as an irritated dad with eyes full of fury and a finger in the face. Be patient. He doesn't say it like that. He speaks as a tender but strong-hearted pastor with eyes full of tears and his arm around their shoulder. Be patient, brothers and sisters. Be patient. And what does patience mean? Well, the word literally means to be long-suffering. In fact, the old Some of us who have been around and read the old translations, King James and whatnot, that was how patience was always translated, long-suffering. But uh, here's the thing about patience. Here's the thing about being long-suffering. You cannot learn patience unless you have something to be patient about, unfortunately. You can't download it. You can't learn patience unless you have something to be patient about. You can't learn how to be long-suffering without what? Suffering. And oftentimes without long-suffering. So why did these Christians, James is writing to, need to be patient? What, what were they suffering? James says to them, be patient, therefore. Therefore. That, therefore, is referring back to what James has just said in the previous verses that we saw last week, some of which say this, back in verse 4. He said, behold, the wages, he's talking now to the the wicked, unrighteous, rich, wealthy landowners who have been defrauding uh, some of the people in the church. He says, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He's talking about these Christians who are in these churches listening to this letter. The righteous person does not resist you. James is talking to his Christian brothers and sisters, the righteous, who've been suffering under the abuse of these wicked, wealthy employers. And James has just told uh, these abusers to weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon them when the Lord of heaven's armies comes for their day of slaughter. And now, James turns to those Christians who have been abused, and he says, Be patient, therefore brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. They need to be patient and long-suffering because James knows that these Christians are are suffering and will suffer. They live in a world where other humans will take advantage of them, treat them unjustly, use them, abuse them. That's why he's writing this letter to them. Now, at this point... If you're like me, I read this and I was like, "Ah, I'm not, I'm not exactly in their situation, James. I'm not uh, suffering quite unjustly in that way from from wicked people. Um, not that I haven't before, but I, it's hard for me to relate to your your command to be patient in a such situation like that. And, and a lot of us may not be in quite this kind of intense suffering." Um And so you may wonder how how could James be talking to me i haven 't suffered with and for Christ like these people uh, James is writing to. Um, now, it is true that many of these Christians James is writing to had suffered persecution for following Jesus. remember they 've been driven out of Jerusalem and uh, out of their home country to all kinds of other parts of the Roman Empire because of their faith in Jesus, that is true. But most of us in this room have not experienced that level of suffering because we follow Jesus. But think about this. Once they were settled in their new homes and they needed to work, the wealthy landowners then took advantage of them and cheated them. James doesn't say in these verses that They were treated this way because they were Christians. They were suffering as Christians, as people who belong to Christ. They were suffering as people who are walking the path of obedience to Christ. And the same is true for you and for me as followers of Jesus. Uh, We may not always suffer specifically because we believe in Jesus, although sometimes we do, but we will always suffer as believers in Jesus. John Piper said it well. He said it this way. Whether the enemy is sickness, Satan, sin, or sabotage, all suffering of every kind that comes in the path of obedience to Christ is suffering with and for Christ. All suffering that comes in the path of obedience to Christ is suffering with Christ and for Christ. For example, if our friends see Underwoods. They're going to Scotland. If one of their boys gets sick... We will all say, and they will, all, and they will say, this sickness in my son is part of the price of, of what it means for us to follow the path that Josh was talking about, follow the path of obedience to Jesus. These kinds of sufferings come into the lives of those who follow the path of obedience to Jesus, whether that path takes you to Scotland or whether it takes you down the mountain. Moms, dads, if your child gets sick, it's a a suffering that they and you experience in your path of obedience to Jesus. So what I'm trying to tell us is that what James has to say, we can't just dismiss what James is saying about being patient in suffering and say this only applies to that kind of suffering. You know, really, it applies to every kind of suffering Every one of the various kinds of trials that James says, every follower of Jesus experiences. So we have to listen to him when he says, be patient, be long-suffering. So I want to pause for a minute and just ask you to to think for a moment. If if you and I were sitting uh, across a table at Mayfly Coffee tomorrow, which sounds great, let me know. I'll, I'll meet you there. Um, if we were sitting there tomorrow morning and, and I asked you, what kind of trial is going on in your life right now that's requiring patience from you? What kind of trial is going on in your life that's requiring endurance from you? Don't say it out loud, but what would come to your mind What are those various kinds of trials? What's a trial right now that's going on in your life where the Lord would say, be patient? Where's the Spirit of Jesus even now, right now, saying, there it is. It's that relationship. It's It's that pain, it's it's that difficult problem, it's it's that ongoing burden you carry, It's, it's that particular battle with sin that keeps raging in your life, it's that anxious fear, that's where I want you to be patient and wait and remain steadfast. Friends, if Jesus was sitting across that table from you tomorrow morning, he would say to you what he said to his disciples. In the world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus would be both honest and hopeful about your suffering. You will suffer, he would say. But when you do, take heart. You have me, and I have overcome world. And now here in this letter, James echoes the heart of his brother Jesus. He says, you will suffer. But when you do, be patient, wait, remain steadfast, He'll say it in a little bit. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Just wait, hang on, take heart. The one who has overcome the world is coming for you. Someone once said, Christian waiting is not waiting for something. It's waiting for someone. That's what James is saying us this morning, his his focus in these verses is not so much what we're waiting for, but whom. And so for the rest of our time this morning in this passage, I I want us to answer the question, for whom do we wait while we suffer? Who is this for whom and on whom we wait? Well, first of all, James tells us we wait for the Lord who has promised to come to us. Look at verses 7 and 8 again. But be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He says it twice there. The coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then he says it another way, as we're going to see in verse 9, where he says, the judge is standing at the door. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I love these words. And I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. We wait for the Lord who has promised to come to us, to take us to himself. So that we may be where he is forever with him. We also, James says, wait for the Lord who has perfect timing. This farmer is confident that uh, when the time is right, when the early and late rains have done their work, um, the harvest will be ready when the time is right. The Lord we're waiting for is the Lord of the harvest, the creator. He's sovereign over the sun, the seasons, the seed, and the soil. He has Perfect timing. He's the one we're waiting for. And just before he ascended into heaven, the disciples asked Jesus about that timing. Remember? And these are good days to remember these words, friends. They said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, go and figure it out. Make some charts. No, he didn't. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Friends, James is saying, Jesus is saying, it's not for us to know or figure out the Father's perfect timing. It's for us to wait for his timing, wait on his spirit, and work in his fields until he comes. So we wait for the Lord who has perfect timing. James goes on and says, we wait for the Lord who is working in our waiting. Where do I see that? Verse 7, James says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it? This farmer has no doubt that something is happening under the soil surface while he waits. God is working in our waiting. But what is he working? James says the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. What is this precious fruit that we're waiting for the Lord to produce? The Lord is working as we're waiting. What is that fruit? Well, Paul said it's the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus. Love, joy, peace. What's the next one? Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. In our waiting, God is working to produce all of those precious fruits the fruit of a a Jesus-shaped life in us. so We can wait on the Lord who we know is working in our waiting. Now, I want you to notice at this point in verse 8 that James says to establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This Lord who has promised to come for us, this Lord who has perfect timing, this Lord who is working in our waiting, Establish your hearts, for he's at hand. He's almost here. And this word establish means to strengthen. James is saying that it's imperative that we not only wait for the Lord, but wait on him. Establish your hearts in this one who is coming for you. Strengthen your hearts by waiting on the Lord, whose return to you is at hand. And, friends, for us, it's even more at hand, way more at hand than it was for James. But no less imminent. And then I also want you to see this that we need to help each other establish our hearts. He's not only saying, each of you establish your own heart, he is saying that, but remember, he's writing to churches the uh, establish your hearts. Your hearts is plural. He's also saying that we need to establish and strengthen each other's hearts as well as our own. Which I think is why he goes on in verse 9 to say this, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You see, last week, James warned us in this letter that there's only one lawgiver and judge, and that the cries of his people have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies. Jesus, the Lord of hosts, will judge those who come against his followers. Why then, friends, if the world is already grumbling against the followers of Jesus, why do we, followers of Jesus, grumble against one another? That's what James is saying. This is the opposite of establish your hearts, strengthen each other's hearts to look forward to the coming of the Lord. Remember, that judge will judge those who grumble against his people. And so that's why James reminds us that we wait for the Lord who will judge We can't let our lack of patience with God show up in our impatience with one another. Jesus, uh, James says that the judge is standing at the door even as we grumble against each other. Think about that. That makes me shudder. And in Ephesians, Paul says, That the way we treat each other, one another as believers in Jesus grieves the Holy Spirit. So establish one another's hearts. Don't grumble against one another. Leave that to the, the world whom Jesus will judge. We wait for the Lord who will judge. James goes on to say, we wait for the Lord. Who is worth the weight. Listen to this, verses ten and eleven. He says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. The prophet the prophets considered the pain of suffering and patience worth the blessing of receiving something else. What was that something else they were waiting for that they considered the pain and the patience worth waiting for? Well, Peter said this in his first letter about the prophets. He said, concerning this salvation that Jesus has brought us, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, he's talking to us. through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Friends, the prophets believed that the Christ and his suffering and glory and the salvation that his suffering and glory would bring to his people was worth the weight and it was worth the suffering that comes with it. They believed he was worth the weight. And as Hebrews says, those prophets suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And then the author of Hebrews just stops in the middle of of his sentence and says, of whom the world was not worthy. The world was not even worthy of these prophets. In other words, we consider them blessed. (laughs) And they wander, he goes on, they wandered about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, Hebrews says, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They didn't even get to see the Jesus they were Proclaiming was coming. The Jesus they were waiting. They did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They had to wait until Jesus came and then together we all get in. What the prophets suffered for and died waiting for, you and I already have. We have the Christ. We have Jesus now, and we will have him fully and finally when he returns. And so, friends, as you wait and suffer, James says, consider the testimony of the prophets whose lives shout from the pages of the Bible, he's worth the wait. He's worth the wait. And then James says, in verse 11, we we wait for the Lord who has a purpose and is compassionate and merciful he says, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. That's the Lord we're waiting for. Now, a quick reminder about Job's story since James has pointed us to him. Remember, uh, Satan and the other um, spiritual beings were in the courtroom of heaven, and God said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? There he is, a righteous, the most righteous man on earth. Satan said, well, of course he fears God. Of course he fears you. But he doesn't love you for you. He just loves you for what you do for him and what you give him. Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. God said behold all that he has is in your hand. And you know the story how Satan went and he took everything every person and possession that Job had and Job still did not curse God and die. And then God said, you can touch his body now, but you cannot take his life. And so he was stricken with painful boils all over. Satan took everything from Job, even his health. He only left Job's wife to be his own satanic voice telling Job, curse God and die. And you, you know the story goes on that Job had questions for God, but never cursed him. Job wrestled with God, but never ran from him. And God allowed Job to wrestle with him for at least months, maybe years, we're not sure. But, but Job's sur- suffering was certainly long suffering and deeply painful on every level that a human can experience. And then you know the story after chapters and chapters of Job questioning God and Job's friends questioning him, eventually God turned the questions to Job. Where were you? God said. And then he described all the different ways he created the world. Where, where were you, Job? And you remember that Job humbly repented and admitted that though he He thought he knew God before. Now he sees him absolutely clearly, more clearly than he ever has before. And friends, that was one of the purposes. One of the purposes God had. God loved Job enough to help Job see and know God better. And then at the end of the story, Job experienced the compassion and mercy of God when God gave him double all that he had lost. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. I wanted to read this to you. Um, I think it will encourage you. Um, this is uh, from Christopher Ashe who wrote a commentary about Job. Um, Listen to these words. They're so good, I I couldn't, I just had to share them with you. Christopher Ash says, the normal Christian life, this is all based on Job, the normal Christian life is warfare and waiting and being loved and humbled by God and being justified by God. All in the here and now. But it is also the expectation of blessing at the end. Often we do get blessed now. God graciously pours out all manner of blessings here and now. But the blessings we get now are just a tiny foretaste of the blessings to be poured out at the end. And the blessings God will pour out on the believer at the end, listen to this, will be every bit as real as the blessings of Job. Job knew real prosperity, real joy and celebration, real fruitfulness and real beauty, His dazzling daughters, he says. The blessings of the new heavens and the new earth that we have coming to us will be rock solid real. We look forward to beauty that makes the most beautiful woman in the world seem dull. We look forward to fruitfulness that will make the most abundant family in the world seem barren. We look forward to prosperity that will make the Forbes list of the world's billionaires seem poor. And we look forward to celebration that will make the best party in the world seem like a quiet glass of apple juice. Amen? We wait for the Lord who has a purpose and is compassionate and merciful, and he's coming. He's coming. But the story of Job, and I'm closing with this, shows us more about the Lord we're waiting for. We wait for Jesus, who is the true and better Job. Job was only righteous compared to others. (laughs) Job was comparatively righteous. Jesus is completely righteous. He's the Lord you're waiting for. Jesus suffered in every way that Job did, but in one way, Job didn't. As one writer said, Job only thought that God had abandoned him. But Christ was, in fact, abandoned by God as he took our sin on the cross, crying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did that so that we would never know the abandonment of God. Jesus is the Lord you're waiting for. Job and Jesus were both attacked by Satan. Job never died but he didn't die by any power of his own. Jesus, however, laid down his life and picked it up again, all to disarm Satan and to destroy his work forever. He's the Lord you're waiting for. Job and Jesus were both restored. And as someone put it, because of of Christ's obedience to the point of death, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above Every name. That's better than what Job got. (laughs) Just as Job's family was restored to him, the suffering of Christ restores a heavenly family. Believers, we are reborn into the family of God, the brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of Christ. He's the Lord we're waiting for. And finally, Job interceded and gave sacrifices for his so-called friend. But Jesus sacrificed himself and intercedes for those of us who were his enemies. He's the Lord we're waiting for. He's the Lord we're waiting for. So my friends, establish your hearts in that Lord, in that Jesus. He's the one we're waiting for. And he promised he's coming soon. Father, thank you. Thank you for this good news about Jesus. Would you... Would you help us, cause us by the Spirit of Christ in us to establish our hearts and establish each other's hearts in him as we wait and as we suffer in our waiting. Help us to keep our eyes on him. And even as we come to this table right now, Father, would you help us to to look and see and remember This is the one we're waiting for, the one who has a broken body and shed blood given for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.